listening to Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Rabbit Radio. It's been a while since we've been at it. Uh, we seem to be taking every uh, every couple of weeks to, to, to come back and actually record a show. But we are back live at the First Round Sports Restaurant in downtown Edmonton. There's a fantastic Oilers game on at the moment. And so you're going to hear noise galore during this broadcast. Guest in tonight, Kevin Passant, back with us from uh, Edmonton Scottish Club. Um, the gentleman in charge with his Guinness in front of him, ready to shoot the breeze with the rest of us here and talk footy from around the world and, uh, and locally. Um, things we're going to try and get to today, we're going to try and talk a little bit about, uh, well, definitely youth soccer and uh, how it relates to clubs in Edmonton and FC Edmonton, as well as the CSA, talking a little bit about... Um, some of the new mandates and things that are coming down the pipe from uh, Jason DeVos and in his new role with uh, the CSA. And is it positive stuff? Is it negative stuff? Uh, some of the gentlemen here were actually involved in a meeting that Jason was here in the city uh, talking about uh, the future of the CSA and, and what they want to do in a, a youth capacity and, and growing the game here in Canada. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be another uh, fun night. I'd like to welcome uh, Dre. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. Good to be back. Jeff Paulus, as always. Yeah, D-Dub. And uh, I've mentioned you, Kevin, but you haven't really said hi. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Oh, not a problem. Glad to have you in the mix. Well, let's kick things off right away. We were going to... Um, what do you want to start with? we got lots of stuff to talk about. What do you want to start with? I'm going to throw this out to you guys. <laughs> yeah, how about... Um, <laughs> well, you know what? Well, let's get right into... I guess, I guess when it comes to... If we're going to talk academy work and stuff like that and youth, and youth development and, and the youth game in, in Alberta... Why don't we just go right to the Jason DeVos uh, sure. presentation because that hopefully will drive youth development in Alberta. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Okay, well, there was a meeting that was held. I'm, I'm not too sure whether it was a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. Um, but it would be two weeks tomorrow. Two weeks tomorrow. Jason was in the uh, lovely confines of Edmonton and got together with uh, some of the technical directors of the different clubs. Uh, I know you were in as a fly on the wall, Jeff, uh, representing FC Edmonton. Uh, Kevin, you were obviously there as well. I was. Uh, let's yeah. discuss a little bit about what Jason had on the table and what he was talking about. Um, you know, I'm going to turn a bit of this over, a lot of this over, actually, to Kevin. Because and, and, sure. uh, I know that, that, you know, Jason and Kevin had some great back and forths and some good conversation in that meeting. Uh, and, again, all about driving change and about looking at what's not working. And, um, you know, the only take that I'll have that, that I'll just say initially to get it started is uh, I was there as a fly on the wall, meant to be. That's why I sat in the back and tried to stay out of it. I was called on at one point to make a comment. And, but by that point, my emotions had already been high. And <laughs> so my, 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 re, my reply, my response was a bit emotional, I think. And, um, but, it, but it all drives to, to wanting to do the right thing for kids. And, you know, and certainly uh, Kevin's in this room wanting to do that with the young players at Edmonton Scottish and, and past the young players at Edmonton Scottish. I know, yeah. I know Kevin cares deeply about player development. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's what that means about. So, uh, you know, it's understandable when tempers get high amongst people that care and you get emotional about it and passionate. And sorry for the noise in this place, by the way, but it's no, a no, oilers we, function going yeah, on here. So I can't it's, even uh, it's going to be loud. Yeah, this is a lot noisier tonight than it was when they played my Leafs. Yeah. But, uh, but anyhow, to turn 
turn this over. Yeah, I'm going to take shots. Yeah, shots all you can. Um, but uh, but on that note, anyhow, you know, sure. it was a great meeting on, on, on player development in Canada, what we can do better. Uh, and uh, I'll turn it over to you, Kev, on that one. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. So when Jason came in, really his presentation um, talked about two main main things. One, in improving coaching education mm-hmm. to better reflect the realities of coaches working with players in Canada. And secondly, to talk about the player pathway and improving that player pathway to the point that the game in Canada can improve to where it needs to, to be to compete against countries in CONCACAF, let, let alone around the world. And so that first piece he did talk about, and it's something I've always believed in, we have to put players first in all the decisions we make. That it can't be about what's best for the national association, the provincial association, down, drill down to the local uh, clubs and people. It has to be about the player. Yeah. And that took him on, a, on you know, the road to coaching education. When you move into the licensing program, very quickly when you move from the C license to the B, you're talking about the 11 v 11 game and you're talking about, you know, to a large degree, 17-year-old plus plus players. And 85% of our coaches are dealing with children and youth. So the introduction of an advanced child and an advanced youth license Mm -hmm. um, was, you could see Jason was very passionate about that. So he's keen to get that rolled out. Um, in less than 24 months, I'll say. I think he wants to see it uh, launched even earlier. Um, but, of course, there's going to be obstacles to the implementation. But he wants to see that happen. And that, I certainly think that's a, a major step in the right direction. Additionally, he spoke about a technical director's um, diploma or, or license because the people that are providing the, um, some of the technical leadership within clubs, we have to better reflect the reality of their day-to-day lives. And their day-to-day lives aren't always on the field. And it's not working on building the ball out of the back. It's working with parents. It's working with coaches and mentoring coaches within the club. It's liaising with uh, associations. Um, you almost need uh, an, an MBA specific to the technical leaders. And so Jason talked about that. And that was met um, quite warmly with the crowd we had in Edmonton. When the conversation then um, moved towards the player pathway, Mm -hmm. that's where you started um, to see the, you know, people's concerns getting raised. Um, When we start to change the status quo, um, sometimes we see some, you know, some Luddites come out. And no, this is working for us, and we don't need change. My hope is we can embrace the reality that the men's national team hasn't qualified since I was 15 years old, and I'm old, man. That's right. Like, I'm older, too, and I actually saw a game in Mexico when they did qualify, and I was a kid. Yeah, (laughs) you know, 1986 is a long time ago. It is a long time ago. And we've now hit, is it the 30-year anniversary? Yes. Yes. That is not acceptable for a country, as Jason pointed out, that is probably the world's leader in recreational soccer. We have nearly 900,000 registered players in Canada, which places us in the top 10 for the number of players in FIFA. So with that huge a number. quantity of players, if we can improve our pathway, we will get some quality. Of it's gonna de- it will take some time, but it will get there. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about the women's game, where we've been a world leader, but you know, at least in my estimation, and I know the, the U, whatever that is, U20, U17, I know it's not 
always outcome. There is a the process. We're not always looking for wins. We're looking for player development. Yeah. But we did fairly poorly in Papua New Guinea with the women's program. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we score one. We conceded 13. Yeah. Um, in my estimation, at least, the world has caught up and it's passed us by. And we had a big head start because Canada's always been a world leader in promoting gender equality and sport yeah. participation. But when countries like Spain start to throw their infrastructure and their culture at the women's game, it doesn't um, shock me when they do as well as they, they no, did. I mean, yeah. that, that could it. Like you said, if they've already got stuff in place to to allow it to, to grow and to, to foster that growth, I mean, of course you're going to see it develop. And you have to keep up with the countries that are performing. Absolutely. Um, and I, when, when Jason just spoke to, to some of the truths, I know that people whose passion project has been youth soccer, and some of that you could maybe define as competitive youth soccer, it's hard to hear those um, comments coming from, from Jason. They were well-intentioned, and he wasn't there necessarily to upset people, but he was there to sharpen the focus that how competitive have we been are we addressing the needs of all players, let alone, you know, from grassroots through to the, the elite? And, and he didn't like to say that, and I, I agree with him, because elite changes year to year, and elite is different for different people. When he, when he introduced the concept of a standards-based league, he didn't want to call it a high-performance league. And, yeah, you can use euphemisms if you want, if it makes people feel better, yeah. but to have a standards-based league where... We're going to ensure that there's some periodization, that we're taking care of the player health piece, that we have appropriate facilities, we have quality officiating, um, we have goalkeeper trainers and physiotherapists, that we're taking care of all the, f- all the pillars of player development rather than kind of doing it ad hoc. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sobering for a lot of people to consider, perhaps we haven't checked off all those boxes. Now, yes... We've had clubs locally in, in Edmonton, provincially, you know, throughout Alberta that have done well as recently as this year's club, uh, you know, nationals, mm-hmm. where national championships were won by Alberta-based teams, and everyone should be incredibly proud of that. But the question has to be, is that because of or in spite of the current club culture in Alberta? My contention is we're doing well in spite of the challenges and in spite of not implementing best practices at each of the uh, the clubs. Yeah. yeah. So was the pushback just simply that they didn't want to change status quo, Kevin, or did there was there any kind of intelligent response to what he was talking about when it comes I, to player I, pathway? I think there were emotional responses. Yeah. And that emotion comes from it's the way we've always done it, and it's it's funny because I, I remember just very recently reading um, an excerpt from an interview with the CEO of Under Armour. Under Armour came from relative obscurity to being the second largest sports apparel company in the United States, overtaking Adidas in the U.S. That's not an easy feat. And positioning just underneath Nike, this has happened very rapidly. And he had said there's only one thing that will ensure uh, an employee uh, to be terminated. And that is, well, it's the way we've always done things. That how are we going to push past today, the status quo? How are we going to get to that next level. Well, it's not going to be through doing what we've always done. It's right. going to be doing something different. And, you know, Jason cited the, the old Einstein quote, you know, 
functional definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Mm-hmm. We can win national championships with Edmonton-based teams. We can win national championships with Calgary-based teams. But can we qualify teams to the men's, na- you know, men's World Cup? Can we win a women's World Cup? And in the current culture, I don't think we can. So how can we improve the experience from the rec- for the recreational player, the competitive player, the high-performance player, and start to develop the next-level athlete? And we have them. We right. have them with 900,000 mm-hmm. players registered. Have we have to have them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, I mean 900,000, that's, that's a small country somewhere. Well, <laughs> could be. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, Two kind of two comments, really. You know, one the part about um, we have had success. You know, and I know at the end of the meeting, I tried to sum it up for some of the individuals there that Jason didn't come here to say that we're doing a bad job. But the point is, are we doing a good enough job? So yeah, people are doing things well. We know that. We know that there's people that are doing good work here in this city, developing players. But. To what level? So the question is not that we're not developing good players, but are we developing the player ready for the international level across the board? So, you know, it's no different. And we were, we have been apologetic, certainly in our academy the last couple of years, because we came in like a bone of China shop. So we had some things to apologize for, certainly. Uh, and we've been trying that and been trying to improve the process we do. But just as, well, I shouldn't say just as, uh, recently, you know, we've stopped apologizing. At the end of the day, we're, we're, we're part of the pyramid, and, and I think that we're, you know, it's a free program that we're offering elite players as well, and we're trying to do a better job in communicating with clubs so that there's not as much animosity. Correct. So, yeah. so I think the days of apologizing are over. Um, but what I will say, though, is we're also part of that pyramid on, on can you do better. And Yeah, we're sending the odd player to Vancouver, but are the players we're sending to Vancouver making the Whitecaps first team? Well, not yet. So then what do we need to do ourselves in the FC Edmonton Academy to send the Whitecaps better players? Because at the end of the day, we also fit in the pyramid, and FC Edmonton's not at the top of that development pyramid. No. We're a part of that pyramid. The Whitecaps are higher up in the pyramid than we are. So it is our job to send them there, and we try to do that. So that, that comment really is, this isn't saying that we've got bad coaches and bad clubs and bad people. Um, but can we change the way they do things, that we do things, to make it better for the young player? That, that's really that, what Jason's on about. Yeah, and again, it gets back to the decisions we make have to be based on the needs of the player. Right. And, you know, I, I want to clarify, I'm not suggesting that the work that's been done over the last 20-plus years by so many great people in mm-hmm. Edmonton hasn't been good work. It has. But right. those exact same people, I think, could do great work right. operating in a different environment, an exactly. environment that ensures that the needs of the player, if they're incredibly passionate, competitive, committed, have yeah. the, the appropriate mentality, um, have that drive to get to the next level, right. they could do even better work. And yeah. that's what we should be looking to do. Good is not good enough. That's right. You know, good good's the enemy of great. Can we get great? And I think yeah. there's the opportunity for greatness. It takes a bit of, of ambition, but I get the sense that Jason's ambitious. He's definitely ambitious. Yeah. Definitely. You know, it was interesting. And, and you and I actually went to meetings together, Kev, with, um, at the time with the Dutch coaches yes. uh, before the academy started. And, you know, and, and the Dutchies would say that there's no secret. I mean, we know how the Dutch can be in, in uh, promoting their Dutch way, mm-hmm. um, which never won them a, a title, I don't believe, yet that way. But regardless, though, they do develop good young players. But they didn't, they didn't uh, come across as having any great design or any great type of training session to do that. They said it's, it's quite simple. 
you take the best players and you train them four times a week with the other best players. And there's the secret to player development. There is no secret. You're just taking the best and they train against the best in a good environment with with, uh, with a proper model in place, and that's it. Players develop. And, and that's all that we're missing right now. For me, that's the piece of the puzzle that's missing. We have, we have some individual very good teams, and on each of those very good teams, there will be eight very, very good players. But only eight. So that means in, in four, three or four times a week when they're training, there is eight very, very good players training with ten okay players. Maybe good players, some okay players. That's not what those eight very, very good players need, the elite player. No, so, the, that, that concept of ability-based groupings I think is very, very important. Mm-hmm. And we can't achieve it when there's a pocket of four good ones over here and two right. over there and 11 over here. Yeah. You get unbalanced leagues where some teams do incredibly well mm-hmm. while others struggle. And that, you know, on the player participation piece, those kids on the less competitive teams, are they enjoying their experience? Are they going to stay with soccer? Right. And that's another thing. If we place the kids in the right environments, it's good for everyone. I think that goes back to what you said right off the bat, though, Kevin, where, where it's everyone who's involved puts the players first. And what's best for the players to achieve the next level. Well, is it staying with my team just because I want to win a trophy? Just because I want, you know, this this other child to, to win a trophy? Is it fair to keep this better player in line for that reason? Well, but isn't what you're talking about just benefiting the elite player then? If you take all the elite players out of whatever X team and put them in one league where only the elite players are playing against the elite players, what happens with the good players, the not not so great players? Do they ever develop? Well, that's the whole thing is hopefully they will. I think if everyone's thought process is the same in regards to let's let's have the players, you know, what we want the let's have the players desires be the ones that carry them through so it's it's if they, if they want to achieve it's if they have the drive if they have the desires as kevin was saying earlier i mean they're going to rise and and, and if you oh man i'm getting a little flustered here but <laughs> i think the point i'm trying to make is i think there'll always be a space for the good player i know we've had this chat before in, in conversations in, in other podcasts where we've talked about well sure you have all the elite players here what happens to the good player well, well hopefully the people that are training those good players have the same mindset to try and get them up there as well, and they'll develop. Exactly. It's interesting that a, an improved system, I believe, would better um, better acknowledge that some kids develop at different rates. We have very early developers. We have late developers. We have players that begin to specialize later in a given sport and of course I'm I'm very much against early specialization as it relates to, to soccer because I want I, I believe in well-rounded athletes and we that's a different conversation for a different time but if we have a place for everyone I think we're going to take care of everyone a little bit better because right now that competitive youth stream it straddles yeah. it straddles competitive and lack of a better term, high performance. But we don't have enough of the high performance kids with high performance kids. Mm-hmm. How do we create that? Well, the, you know, the concept from Jason is to have a national standards-based development league and that it may be able to have a national competition to take care of that piece that people seem to crave in Canada. I don't know. 
it's going di- to, different age groups? Like it would just yeah, be U15, yeah. U17, well, it'll U19? Well, start, uh, as far as the competition structure, I believe U13, U14. Yeah. U14 right? would make sense. Yeah. But he, he, the intent would be for those same clubs to go younger and to start to pull out your top young players at eight. For, for extra training, not pull them away from their teams entirely, right. but extra training. The ones that had an app to do for it or just wanted it. Some yeah. kids just and, want and it. And yeah, I for think, sure. I think what he had uh, called it, based on Saskatchewan, actually, the uh, Saskatchewan Soccer Association has a mm-hmm. dedicated player pathway for the younger That's player. Right. The one yeah. that has an aptitude, has an energy, and has a desire to do more, yeah. let's give them a bit more. Okay. Let's give them a bit more. Right. And they have that opportunity. But... A player that comes into soccer a bit later decides, I really love this game, just because they weren't in that dedicated player pathway doesn't exclude them from then getting hopping on the bus whenever it's appropriate for them. Yeah. And that's another thing. There needs to be some fluidity, fluidity and flexibility for kids to move in and out. And when Jason right. mentioned, well, a club should be able to you know, field a... In Alberta, it's been talked about Alberta Youth Soccer League, and Ontario gets called something else, or in BC, something else again, and Quebec, entirely different. But if we call it like a high performance league, or AYSL is what Alberta Youth Soccer League, well, a club could have a player pool of 36. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. on any given Saturday when they play, the 18 exactly. get into that game. And as soon as that was mentioned, you know, I could see there was there was it was palpable people's physical response to that. You know, eyes rolling, shoulders shrugging, head going back, because that's not the way we've done it. Mm. Yeah. But that can't exclude the possibility of making that happen. Mm. Of making that happen. Yeah. You know what? And somebody just before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. I love that whole thought process. So hold that thought. We're going to come right back and uh, have more conversation on this. Uh, youth developments here. You're listening to Rabbit Radio, uh, coming to you live from the Sports Round, Sports Round, from the First Round uh, Sports Restaurant. There you go. We're in downtown Edmonton, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton. And we're back here live at the First Round Sports Restaurant in downtown Edmonton. This is Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton. We have Kevin Passant in from Edmonton Scottish. Uh, of course, Andreas and JP are here as always. Um, we were just talking about uh, Jason DeVos and his technical directorship and uh, a meetings he's been having at the different, um, different groups. Uh, around and associations around Canada, and he did stop in Edmonton. And both Kevin and uh, JP were at the meeting. We were just discussing um, a part of that meeting where it shifted to the HPL and a high performance type league, uh, and the thoughts about that uh, from both other club executives and uh, and the powers that be in this room. What were your thoughts? Well, I'm just going to jump on the comments that um, the conversation when, Andreas, you asked about what happens to the good player. If we pull the elite player out, what happens to the good player and do they get better? And so to jump on that, you also forgot to mention Jimmy again, and Jimmy is also here as well. Jimmy, our, our apologies, apologies yeah. always to Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy the media guy. Um, poor Jimmy. <laughs> um, but on that note, so, so right now you have Team A that has eight elite players playing Team B that might have four elite players. And, and you get into that game, and, and the elite players, especially the team with eight, are going to have the ball all the time. 
So you look at the good players on the other team, or the average players, and how often are those kids touching the ball in a 40-minute game or whatever they play minute-wise for a, a club game now uh, at whatever level? So U14, say. Yeah. How often are those good players touching the ball on the team that only has a few elite players when they're playing a team loaded with elites? So I would say very, very rarely do they have it. And when they do have it, the elite player typically is pressing, pressing them so fast, they've lost it. They have no time to make a decision, and they've lost the ball. So let's pull the elite player out now. And let's have a league where the good players are playing good players. Uh, the elites are all out. Those good players, when they'll touch the ball, on average, yeah. how many, what percentage more? Than when you when you pull out the better players, so, I see what you're saying, but right? I think the importance then gets put on coaching. What are you going to do with that ball when you have possession of it? Oh yeah. So I think that I think that and I, that's yeah. what Jason DeVos is talking about bringing coaches into these youth levels. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it dovetails into that conversation about creating a, an advanced child and youth license, so that the the people yeah. working with our kids yeah. um, have the appropriate education sure. that they can bring to bear on the player experience. You know, I, I, it's funny, you know, looking at it with an analogy. If you have a classroom of kids, um, some of whom, you know, are, their literacy levels very, very high, and others are struggling to read, how fair is that to either group? But if we right. put them in the appropriate groups, maybe the kids that are struggling to read are going to be more caught while the others just scored, <laughs> as you can well hear, I'm yes. sure. Um, there goes the horn. Um, kids that are struggling to read and are maybe perhaps a bit uncomfortable within their peer group, yeah. they might be a little more willing to crack the totally book and, and read out loud. And I, I see it all the time on a field. Kids who are less comfortable, less confident, defer to those that are more capable. Sure. So I'm not saying that there's a perfect answer. What I'm saying is parents who, you know, I am a parent of two kids that play youth sport. They're, they help to drive a lot of the conversation. If they are confident that the level of coaching is the same, that the coaches have the same passion, the same intensity, the same purpose, whether they're working in that HPL environment or in the competitive club environment, my, my thought is parents are going to be comfortable with that and they're going to be happy with that, sure. knowing that, hey, my kid's going to continue to improve and maybe next year they can successfully compete for selection on that next level of, of team. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good example. Sure. Well, I mean, it's a good example for yeah. yeah. And then that's exactly the way it, way it should go. Um, I, I just, I just feel sorry. I almost feel sorry when I guess Jason's going to face that a lot with, with whichever association he's going to go into. Um, you're going to have people that buy into programs and people that are, are you know going to be a little more resistant to, to the thoughts of change. Uh, yeah. Was there any action points coming from this meeting? Like, oh yeah, it, yeah. yeah there, there's there's uh, follow through uh, meetings. I know that um, the TD is is going to be meeting with some people individually as well. Of our uh, Sean Lowther will meet with uh, some clubs and some stakeholders. So uh, it has to stay happening. I mean, this the, the key now uh, because Jason's come in and he's he said some provocative things for sure, and um, but he said some things that that make real sense to player development in our country. And uh, the key is, is to keep that conversation going. Yeah. If we all walked away and waited until the next time Jason showed up uh, to get back into this, then, yeah, nothing will change. Right. But as long as you have the right people making the same amount of noise and trying to conti- uh, continue this discussion, then I think change can happen. There was enough people, Kevin, in that room uh, that would want change to happen. Oh, I, I'm sure of that. I'm sure of that. You know, sidebar conversations and offline conversations, there, there's a, a desire 
to kind of jump on um, and effect some change. We have a meeting scheduled in the first half of January already. Um, messages went out that's uh, you know going to be hosted locally in the greater uh, Edmonton area. It's going to be chaired by some some people that are going to piggyback on, on Jason's message to see if we can use that momentum to kickstart something because something does need to occur. Mm-hmm. There's no question. Status quo has been good to a point, but I think we have the coaches, the players, the parents um, to make good great, and that should be our focus. Yeah, I like, I like that. I mean, you could just say good to great. I mean, that's exactly what the country needs as far as, you know, the the player pathway and, and and being able to get those players that we need to see the country improve. Yeah, for sure. Now, I'm going to switch track a little bit, but still player development, so mm-hmm. uh, same idea. And, and definitely there's been some initiatives here in Alberta on the women's side of the game with the female reps in Calgary and the female reps uh, in Edmonton. And um, But on that note, so we'll go back to the U20s with, with the women. And like you said, 13 goals against, one goal for, and, and, and not badly outplayed. Uh, badly outperformed and so the comment uh, I can't remember who said it uh, at the table here but the comment that you know we need to make sure we can keep up with the Spains of the world mm-hmm. but the reality though is we've actually contributed way more dollars and way more we put way more commitment into the women's game yeah. way sooner than a place like Spain than anywhere in Central and South America I mean there's been as far as the financial contribution into the women's game you look at the leaders you look at Canada the United States, Germany, Sweden, Norway, and then recently Japan. But there's your big six as yeah. far as as far as embracing the female game, and rightfully so. The other countries are actually playing catch up. So, so now I'm going to pose this question here. Maybe it's a bit of a comment or commentary as well. But um, so we we have we put a lot of resources in, into female soccer here, right? But yet a country like Spain that's only recently put resources into it is able to outperform us uh, at a major event. Now, we're hearing a lot, of, uh, a lot of comments saying at the U20, the goal is to develop a player for our senior women's national team. But we've also had LTPD spoken about for how many years now, Kev? LTPD has been the way that we're going to develop players. And clearly by that age of young female athlete, you're, you're talking about the, the training to compete and training to win stage. So are we at the training to win stage? Is it strictly only development there? And if it is only development, are we not concerned that a relatively new country that's put resources in the women's game is able to outperform us if it is development only based? But didn't Kevin touch on that before when he's talking about Spain being able to come in and, and be so good so quickly based on the there's already infrastructure in yeah. place, the coaching's already in place. Right. They just need to take the boys out and put the girls in. Yeah. Off they go. Uh, so uh, perfect. And that, that's fantastic, Jay, because that actually leads into that's exactly where I'm going with this. They do have a proper development infrastructure in place. We're contributing significant dollars into an infrastructure in place currently to develop the top female athletes. And in fairness, John Herman and his staff, fantastic. They do a great job, and mm-hmm. I know that. So I'm not having to go here too much. However, though, that being said, um, we've underperformed severely at an under-20 World Cup. And for me, that is a place to win games. That is a place to show that your training has worked. It's a place to show that your development program has put... If, if we've done our job developing the next senior national team player, should we not perform better at that World Cup is my question, I guess. Mm. 
you, you would hope that results from one would flow into the other. Right. I recognize that the Canadian team fielded at U20 was younger than, than many within that tournament, that right. we trended towards the 17, 18-year-old rather than the 19 or 20-year-old. Okay. I don't know the the rationale or the reason. Try to identify more players, increase the player pool, any number of reasons. But, you know, it's not just um, Spain outperforming or Japan outperforming. It's Nigeria. It's Venezuela. These are countries, while they may have a culture in the game, they don't have the same financial wherewithal. Right. And they don't have the same history of supporting female sport. Right, Canada has been a world leader in that. So maybe the the the, the conversation is less about what's going wrong, um, you know, in this area or that area, developmentally here or there. Maybe it's about what's our culture in Canada as it relates to the game of of soccer. And Jason did talk about it when when we met that we can't import the Icelandic experience or what did Germany do in 2006 that made it a world power in less than 10 years like or made it a world power again. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Canada. We have unique problems. It's not just geography and climate. There's other pockets of, of issues that need to be overcome. But I don't think anyone's properly defined what, in a perfect world, what does Canadian football look like? Right. I, you know, as we hear the Oilers playing the Sabres and hear people going crazy, is it is it direct play? It, it, you know, should we mimic how, you know, we embrace hockey, chip and chase and, and grind away? I, I don't know what the Canadian approach should be. Um, we're multicultural. Do we, you know, pick, you know, bits and pieces, uh, you know, something from the Indian subcon and something from Africa and a little bit over here from Central America because right. that's the changing face of Canada. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but I can tell you that whatever the, the Canadian identity is, um, it's not good enough. Yeah. It's not good enough right now. No. Yeah. Because it does speak to, I mean, I'm not, I'm not shooting down our, our uh, Rex program by any stretch, but it does, but again, it goes back to, so regardless of all the success we've had on the women's side of the game, the fact that we were so poor at the U17 and U20, uh, World Cups, it does still point to early development. And then what can we do differently or better uh, at the earliest stage? Well, not the earliest stages, but U10, U12, U14, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we change? And then what do academies need to do? And including the recs, including academies like, like our academy here, uh, what do we need to do better as well? Because clearly we need to do a better job in, in our programs, whether it's male or female. I think, you know, I was asked a question. I've been asked several times this question. I've been asked it on interviews. But when, when you're dealing with the academy, what's most important, to, to develop players or, or win games? What's most important? And I said, to be honest, for me, at a, at a certain age, and certainly the age of our 16, 17, 18-year-olds, uh, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Right. Is that the right term? Um, they're not. They, they go together. You have to. If you're, if you're trying to develop the next elite female player, if you're trying to develop the next professional male player, I, I think that, that, uh, that attitude of winning, that, uh, the habit of winning, I think that certainly they go uh, hand is in a hand. factor. They do. They totally go Because hand you look at the best programs on the planet, group. right? You look at, uh, at any level, Japan. They win all the way from senior women's down to U17. They're winning. On the female side, you look at the top male programs on the planet. The uh, Spain, they win at every level of development. They're not saying, "Well, yeah, these players are, they are developing players for their senior team first and foremost," but they're also winning at U15, U17, U19. It becomes a culture, yeah. and, and and that's for me, that's part of a, of the kids' yeah, growth. I, I think at the age group levels, mm-hmm. we want to win. We need to win yeah. at the senior level. 
It's we will win at all costs. Absolutely. And that's a slightly different approach. That's right. No coach goes into a match with the intent, oh, we're going to lose this. But the coach's philosophy may change. Is I'd like to win. However, there are some other areas of importance. But when you're dealing with the full national program, the full team, or at a professional level, when Colin sets up for a game, it's not like, well, what's the need of this particular player longer term? I'll slide him in. No, we need to win the game. Yeah, that's the domain of professional sport. That's the domain of, you know, the full national team programs. Right. But at U17, U20, I think there's still an opportunity to win games. Yeah, I think so as well. I think we need to win games I, a I little th- bit. I think for sure. I mean, and after watching some of those games, I actually thought they were taped. It was a, it was a month ago or something like that yeah. that the games were on, but it was it was, it was the under twenty, wasn't it? Under yeah, twenty. Yeah, it was the under twenty uh, women's World Cup that was going on, and yeah, wow, some of the teams that Canada was playing and and not we were not getting results was. was I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing on a positive though. What a great advertisement for the female game. Some oh, of the teams absolutely. in that tournament, oh, unbelievable. Japan oh, football, in particular, Korea yeah, as well. Some of the well. football being played. i got to admit, fantastic. I didn't watch a minute of it. Yeah, it was, it was, there was some quality on that pitch, for sure. Yeah, well, and we had moments. Great we, that it was broadcast we, that you were able to watch it. Yeah, it was good. It, there was all late, it was all like late night. It was, it was in Papua New Guinea. Yeah. So, I mean, there were like 11 o'clock starts. <laughs> right. So and I, and I was only, you know, happened to be scrolling through yeah. the, like, the sports end of the, the the guide, and oh, hang on a sec, what's that? I always thought it was all tape delayed, but it was live. Oh. Yeah, it was live. It was good. The interesting takeaway for me, however, is if Canada at that competition wasn't quite good enough, if you take a look at the player pool, there were zero players from Alberta on that roster. None. There were right. there was an American-based player who qualified for. Um, to play for Canada through parent lineage, whatever that, that was. There was a Nova Scotia player, and I assume that's because Worthington's from the Halifax area that he had familiarity with that individual. Yeah. Sure. Outside of that, Ontario, Quebec, BC. But what are the three provinces that have the next level of competition for youth players? Right. Good Ontario, point. Quebec, BC. Yeah. So maybe it's a, a, you know, a happy coincidence. Maybe not. Maybe not. But yeah. Alberta used to be a province that produced players for the national program regularly. Mm. Right. Very regularly. Yeah. And to see a, a U-20 roster with not one player is alarming. Yeah. I, I won't believe, I can't believe, and in no way do I, that nah, there's, I'm not even going to bother scouting Alberta. No, yeah. they're aware of the player pool, and they, they must be making the assessment they're not quite good enough. And then we, the team we take... Not yeah. good enough at Not all. Not good enough. Yeah. So yeah. this American girl, so her parents visited Halifax on vacation. They bumped into Worthington at uh, King of Donair Pizza Corner. <laughs> She's in. Good Donair. Though. Yeah, yeah, good Donair. It's, it's Canada's best. Good Donair. And on that Donair comment, we're going to take another quick break here on Rabbit Radio. And when we return, well, more football stuff coming your way. We'll see you in a sec. Official podcast of FC Edmonton. Uh, this is Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton, coming to you live from downtown Edmonton. Um, you know what? There's a really good Oilers game on in the background, and uh, I think Buffalo's just scored, and uh, now they're going overtime. But by the time you guys hear this, uh, they'll be on to other games. Won't matter, will it? 
Well, it might matter. <laughs> but if you're uh, hearing a lot of noise in the background, uh, that is why. There's a very big, large Oilers event and function going on here. Um, but these things... Uh these things happen. We were uh, talking youth soccer, in particular Jason DeVos and uh, the CSA's technical department uh, trying to make some changes and inroads into it. Um, We're going to continue on just to sort of uh, round out the whole uh, youth discussion and uh, things that are going on with some former FC Edmonton Academy players and uh, a bit of a report on them. In particular, three who we've moved on from uh, the FC Edmonton Academy to the Whitecaps. Uh, world of uh, MLS Academy and it's actually uh, six, six, six players that have moved the on last there. Couple years, yeah. That's that's pretty awesome. There's a tournament that's going on right now. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the tournament. That it's in Florida. Uh, yeah. It's it, it, there's a bunch of the, there's MLS academies galore in this tournament. That's what it is. It's essentially an MLS Academy type tournament. Yeah. Really. And yeah. Uh, and the Whitecaps Academy's done very well at this. Uh, I think the 16s drew their first game and uh, won the next one in a big way. And three of our four of our players are on that team right now. Um, you've got uh, Darlington, the yeah. goalkeeper. Yep. Yeah, I haven't seen him play yet, but uh, right. and then you've got Anthony Krakus. Krakus. Uh, Jefferson, Alade, uh, <laughs> yeah, and and of course uh, Jose, Jose Hernandez, Hernandez. There you go. Yeah. I'm I'm great with the first names, but the last names yeah. I struggle with. So Why? Good. I just um, just goes. But yeah, so they've been doing very well. Yeah, and they also have G. Is there uh, Gloria Amanda? Oh, yeah. Um, and they have uh, T Boy, Feyeya, Hansen's cousin. T Boy. Yeah. I so, just like saying that. T Boy. It's like saying Jimmy. Jimmy, the media guy, Jimmy. Yeah. Thank you. I don't, don't know. Worry about it. Don't we worry we about digress. Jimmy. Yeah. But yeah, so they've been doing very well. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to continue? <laughs> what a no, great I just, up. I just, you <laughs> know what? I just. I'm sorry, I, read, about the bus. I, I read up. Right. No, I, read, no, yeah. I read up about it uh, today. I was watching or reading on the website, the Whitecaps website. Yeah. And no, talking, sorry. Giving, giving the rundown on the different games and, yeah. and how well they've performed. It's been it's nice to see their names pop up yeah. in all the goal-scoring categories. So No, it's good, D-Dub, and I, I will touch. I just like watching you sweat for a second when I, when I leave you hanging. But um, No, you know what? It's fantastic for these young kids, and uh, they've gone to a good environment, you know, and it's something that we, we promote it. Um, we want players to move to the highest level they can to, and right now in our development pyramid in North America, the White Caps are at the top, and the money they contribute to their academy is fantastic. Uh, they play in that U.S. Development League, so we, we, the relationship is strong at the moment, and, and it's worked out for these players. At the end of the day, you know, I think when when the organizations are, are getting along, the benefit goes to the young athlete, and that's you know it's the same thing here, and um, and that's why you know the relationship I think over the last year has been getting stronger, certainly with us and with the clubs in the city, and that's something that that on our end we need to be good at yeah. and need to do a better job at in reaching out and communicating. So, but at, at the level now for these kids, and they've come into us from the club teams here, um, and then we get them at say 15, mm-hmm. some 14. And then hopefully we can get to the point where they can go to the Whitecaps. And hopefully the Whitecaps get them into the USL team. And then they've, they follow the pyramid right up. And that's the way it's meant to work, isn't it? From, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so for those individual players, they are doing very well. You know, I do get to speak to Frank quite a bit about the players and get some feedback. And, and Frank, um, Frank is the uh, player development uh, for the youth academies in, yeah, for the Whitecaps? That's right, yeah. yeah. I think in particular the residency. Yeah. I, I think that that's kind of his, uh, his, his main baby. scouting focus is for players for that program. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, they've all been doing very well. Yeah. You know, certainly Jeff or Jose, he, he's been scoring a ton of goals for them. And he's a good, we know he's a good finisher. So, yeah, as always, we wish those guys the best of luck. Yeah. yeah. It, great. Just a little bit of a background on uh, what some of the former players are doing and, and how they're doing. You can always check up on the, uh, the Whitecaps website to see uh, former players from the FC Edmonton Academy and, uh, and what they're up to. Um, next on the agenda, there was a, a little bit of banter going on between the MLS and the CSA. And um, they were talking about um, what were they talking about? Sorry, the Oilers just lost their game. It's it's, it's up on the screen. I couldn't resist. Yeah, um, butterfly, a, a little yeah. squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were talking to the MLS and trying to alleviate the whole domestic player as international Canadian players who wanted to go play in an American. Um, MLS side would be considered international players and I think they've worked something out to now class them as domestic players yeah. um, when they go to the state. but there's a whole bunch of uh, yeah, there's, there's prerequisites a, and things that go on yeah, to, a, to make that happen. formula. Yeah. Um, half the formula has not been made public yet, but half the, <laughs> the other half so the formula has. It's yeah. for everything. Oh, yeah, no, yeah it's going to be really good. No, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's, uh, I don't know, Kevin's probably going to jump in on this as well. And um, Please do. But So at the end of the day, any, any, any program put in place to help a young Canadian athlete play the game professionally is going to be a good program for the young Canadian athlete. Uh, so the whole, there's, there's, it's a two-part process. Number one, a player, a young player has to be part of an MLS academy in Canada before they're 16 years old. Okay. Um, or a CSA-approved club or program. Uh, the CSA-approved club and program is the mystery part at the moment because uh, no one knows who they are or what that means. So that's got to be figured out. Uh, but certainly we all know the MLS academies. Yeah. So as long as they're one of those three before the age of 16 years old, they've met the first criteria. The second part of this, uh, the second part of this now is that they have to sign their first pro contract with either a USL team or an NASL, or sorry, an MLS team. So that yeah. puts puts us out of the mix right off the bat. What's up with that? Well, it doesn't put us out of the mix, but it puts uh, a player like Shamit out of the mix. So even Who if signed Shemit, their first pro contract with an NASL, he signed with an NASL club. team, so he would be ineligible for this. And we're talking about, you know, he, he's he's nominated for. Uh, U20 Player of the Year mm-hmm. uh, with against five other candidates. Yeah, and yet, so we're saying that this is for Canada's best young players, but we've somehow agreed on a formula that doesn't include yeah, that all of Canada's best young players. Yeah, right? It's cancelled out. One of the that they've recognized. This is a CSA thing. They've recognized him as one of their better U20 players, not eligible for this program, which is extremely unfortunate at the moment. That so, is crazy. Yeah. So that part, that part, I don't like. But the part I do like is that it, if it's an opportunity for a young Canadian, brilliant. Now, is this specific to that, or does this go to the Generation Adidas Canada players? Is that that what this basically is? So anyone would be eligible, any young player in an academy would be eligible to receive that uh, domestic status in the U.S. That's fine. The elite of that group would be eligible for a Generation Adidas Canada contract. Oh, that's, yeah, so, that's cool. And that's that, massive. And, yeah. and for those who don't know, there was a Generation Adidas contract available to a lot of youth players, mostly States. college players, yeah. uh, coming out of the States. Yeah. And How who many do they give out every year? <sighs> any, any idea? I don't have an idea, to be, to be honest. Um, but clearly, the, from a player perspective, this is 
a lucrative opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I mean, I, I know, if I was a kid, I'd, who wouldn't want to be uh, classed as one of those generation Adidas well, what happens, players? What happens when, so obviously that's just an initial contract. You don't stay generation Adidas forever right. throughout your career. So what happens once that initial Adidas genera- generation Adidas contract is done? What happens to that player? Is it just you're a normal player now? You're going to the normal player pool. You get bought, sold, traded, now, whatever. Now, didn't the MLS? Was it the MLS? Was it, or didn't Generation Adidas used to have a team in the USL? Like it oh, was really? the Generation Adidas team. I, I'm pretty sure this was back in the day when Are when you we, uh, off no, your no, meds? no, no, and I'm drinking <laughs> Pepsi tonight. I'm not. I'm not going with my. Uh, no, you might great I don't. I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure there was yeah. when it first started going. They figured, well, we got to play these kids somewhere, and they made a team that played in the. I, w- I want to say it was the USL because it was one of the first one of the first years out of. Oh man! When the Vancouver 86ers became the Whitecaps, they were in the USL. Originally, and I'm pretty sure I recall playing a, a generation team. No, it was actually um, they played in the A League. A League, that's what it was. Well, that 86ers, 86ers were in part of the A League, well, and, that, and that's when it wasn't Generation Adidas. That was uh, a project involving Nike. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So, so then Adidas had nothing to do with it? Not at that time. But you hit the post. Uh, you hit, hit the, the post. Hit general gist of it. Which is uh, you know, I, I'm just trying to be yeah. careful because I've gone down this path of thinking I know something once yeah. before. And then, and then get ridiculed galore. Well, that was so. great because I was about to jump off the sinking ship. Nike had its Project 40 is what it was called. Right. They had 40 players signed to these contracts. Yeah. And then they fielded a team in the A League in the USL. That's nice. right. Very good. Wow. Sorry. Good. And then and, and no, there's you were there's, fine. You were close. I was very close. I knew there was. I, I thought it was a generation Adidas thing, but it yeah. was obviously. Did you po- just uh, come in late with that, Jimmy? Well, well Wikipedia done. action Jimmy. over here. Yeah. Wikipedia. Jimmy. 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 We're uh, we're going to the next conversation Jimmy. now, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. He's two segments behind. Yeah. Two okay. segments Sorry. behind. <laughs> no, he's not. Um, so yeah. So there you have it. That's uh, life in a nutshell. A little dead air that I can cut out later. Thank you, Paz. <laughs> what were we going to talk about? Oh, no, just on that note. Um, I'm not sure I have anything else to say on that, actually. On the MLS and the whole... Yeah, no, I do have a... Actually, I have one, uh, one comment on that. I do have a comment on that because... Let's have it. Yeah. Um, my curiosity about the whole thing. So, again, it's a great initiative by the CSA to get our young players. At, at, at least it's, uh, it's a foot in for mm-hmm. young Canadians. Brilliant. My question, though, I guess maybe I need to ask uh, the USSF and, and uh, Don Garber this. Um, how, how has it been that any Canadian player can play on any USL team as a domestic, but for some reason it was against labor laws in MLS and, and as, at NESL? Is there a reason for that? I, I want to think that it had more to do with the original mandate of the MLS was to develop American players for their oh, national for sure. program. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that's where yeah. it came from. Yeah. When they finally started to introduce Canadian players, yeah. well, they're not domestic. They're not from the States. So, And I've got no problem with that, personally. Yeah. i got to say. Yeah. I've got no problem with that. You know, Because if we, when the CPL comes in 2018, I'll have no problem um, promoting publicly that, yeah, we are trying to develop Canadian players. Yeah. 
I won't care about developing an American player in the CPL. Mm-hmm. It won't matter to me. It's not for them. Mm-hmm. No, it's for the, the young Canadian player. It should be for the young Canadian, not the young Bahamian, uh, Trinidadian. Right. It has to be based on the needs of the Canadian player. Yeah. And I understand why there'd be protectionist in the MLS. You know, player drops in to franchise Y in state wherever. Yeah, yeah I get that, but... And I'm pretty sure that that's originally the way the MLS has started was to promote the... Of course, the, for sure. But I mean, as a product and, and wanting to get fans to come in, you have to expand your horizons, I think, a little bit to... Well, flip this around. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we all watch the EPL. Yeah. So let's flip this around. And what is the biggest criticism of the English national team? There's no English players in the EPL. Yeah. Right. True enough. So the Americans have taken a step to make sure that they're developing American players. But it seems like the American national team's going like this. Yeah, blame Klinsman. Like yeah, just, everyone's blaming yeah, Klinsman blame anyway. Him. Blame <laughs> just him. blame him. The problems are fixed. They're solved. <laughs> He's actually going to be uh, talking in L.A. at the NSCAA convention. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to that, Kev? I am, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm going to the Toronto one. Uh, teaching, it kind of got me out of the... Uh, I, I couldn't do the dates for California. I'm I'm going to California. Nice, T-Dub. Yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll see you there. We'll have one of those, mate. Yes, we will, mate. <laughs> yeah. My wife is happy. Make sure I'm you going go to, to some sessions, T-Dub. That's all I have in Toronto's oh, no. family. Trust me, that's the reason I'm going for yeah. all the yeah. sessions. Yeah, so she's uh, Cindy's quite happy about that. Yeah. Well, well, Toronto will be good too. Well, I'm staying right downtown. I kind of like to go to Toronto. We're still as well. on air, right? Like, this yeah, is we're, no, yeah. It's, people it's, are interested yeah. in guys are. We're talking uh, about different conventions. No, no, there's there's a bunch of learning opportunities. Exactly. There's coaching conventions that'll be coming up in the new year in January. Uh, one of the ones we're talking about is the NSCAA, right. National Soccer, Soccer Coaches, Coaches Association, Association of America. America. Uh, theirs is in Los Angeles this year, and uh, JP was talking about uh, UFT. the UFT. Uh, they put on a, a great National convention Soccer as well. Coaches Convention, I believe, is what Thank it is. Thank you. You're there you go. There I, you go. I was just about to say and that. That. One's, that one's held in Toronto, and, yes. and JP's going to be going to that one. I so am. Fantastic conventions, great, uh, great spots to pick up a little uh, coaching knowledge and and, and a great way of networking around the uh, world of soccer for everybody yeah, here. For sure. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll try and wrap things up. And, uh, hey, that'll be the end of another session of Rabbit Radio. Live from First Round, the sports restaurant in downtown Edmonton. We'll be right back. You're listening to Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton. And we're here, Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton. To uh, one more segment, one more little segment here. We're going to talk. Uh, we, we've kept it on the Canadian wavelength as far as football goes, and we'll continue along that path, talking a little bit about the MLS Eastern Conference Final, Montreal Impact, Toronto FC. Unbelievable match. Did, did you watch it? Yeah, I watched it. I mean, it started out comical. I mean, I'm sure we all watched it. We all watched for 45 minutes as they painted lines on the on the pitch oh, at, yeah. in Montreal. At the big yeah. O. Right. yeah. <laughs> so that was a bit of a joke. How do you how do you make a mistake? What a game. I'm sorry. I know, I know it's not a big thing, but how do you make that It wasn't mistake? an inch. It no, was, we're talking yards. It was like three feet. Yeah. <laughs> in, in defense, can I just say okay. that I have been messed up ever since they switched to the metric system. Oh, okay. <laughs> Legitimately, because I was. Pu- Right, Kev? We were part of that era where they switched Absolutely. over in high school. Let's go metric. I'm, I'm uh, there. I'm there. The I, I, that was actually when I was in elementary, I think, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably was too then. Uh, it still messed you up. Yeah. Yeah. How many years do I have on you? It would have messed all of us up. Yeah, I think you have two years. One year? One, one year? or two. 47. 
40, no, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going there, buddy. 45. Well, I've got two years on you. Yes! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, crazy, once they got the lines yeah. painted, what a hell of a game that was. I know. The, the first game was just phenomenal. The first game, too. I, I, just, just the comeback that Toronto made towards yeah. the, the last yeah, 15, fantastic. 20 minutes of the match. Fantastic. And, and the supporters think? are great in both cities. Yeah. I mean, for the final, Seattle versus Toronto, you can't wish for a better uh, fan base there. Oh. No, both, both fan bases are going to be massive. Fantastic. Massive. And I heard that the actual final was sold out in three minutes. Well, there, there's actually a big problem at the moment. They're, they're discussing that now quite publicly about the issue with ticket sales and the zoning yeah, sold out right away. Uh, who's getting tickets? How did you get tickets? Oh, so there's, the away supporters kind of a, aren't going to be... No, well, I think, I think there, yeah, a, there, there could be some with away supporters. There's an actually. allotment that's already taken out of the mix for but away isn't supporters. isn't it at a neutral venue? No, it's, no, it's, at, it's at BMO. Oh, is it really? Yeah. yeah it is. Oh, yeah. They always used to do it at a neutral venue, like the Super Bowl? Uh, no, I, I Did think Bimo it's... just get lucky and get... Uh-huh, huh? Come on, have a go, Jeff. <laughs> what? Am I wrong? No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a not sure thing, maybe. I don't know. That's a not sure thing. There you go. There Got you go. It. Not sure thing. Yeah. But it is going to be at Bimo. Mm-hmm. I'm good. The lovely lady's in looking for beverages, and all, all of us are good. Now she's running away because she doesn't want to talk to us. But Can't blame hey. her. Well, yeah. that's fantastic. That's, uh, that's, that's, but, yeah, that's fantastic oh, to be no, a it's gonna, I mean, That's going to be great. insane. How about yeah. uh, Tactical? Go back to the first game. You're up 3-0. Oh, what, man. What do you think? I mean, you're up 3-0. I know. You're at cruise control. Yeah. Well, not cruise control, but you know what I mean. It, it's, it's well in hand at that point, yeah. and yeah. you give up those two. Uh, tactically, what went wrong? They brought in Marilyn Fellaini. Oh, wait a second. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm confused. Yeah. I, th- I think they just, uh, I think the surface had a lot to do with it because it was that horrendous turf stuff on the inside. Again, while they yeah. were filling air, they were talking yeah. about how garbage that pitch was. Yeah. The, I think the, Jovinko complained about it's dangerous for players. Oh, probably. totally dangerous. Yeah. And, and I, I think... Uh, I think it was just a slow thing that Toronto finally got used to what was going on on the pitch, and I don't think there was enough pressure put on the back line of Montreal initially at the beginning of the game because everyone was just getting used to the pitch. Yeah, but by be. the second half, it looked like uh, Toronto was kind of having their way with the back line. Montreal's back line just weren't able to cope with some of the some of the stuff that was going on around them. Yeah. How about the concussion protocol in that game? You guys, I can't remember who it was. Ran into somebody, somebody out the door. And was completely unconscious before he hit the ground, and then he hits the ground and on his head. Yeah. Right. And then two minutes later, he's back on the pitch, just going, "Oh, oh!" Shook that. Smelling salts. Yeah. <laughs> Could not believe uh, it. Oh man. I can't remember who it was now? But I didn't. And I hate to say, I don't want to bring it up, but there was an Oilers game the other night where McDavid oh, yeah, went face first. He hits his lip. Gets up. He keeps playing, but but the NHL people fall down to the well, bench like the MLS and said, really, "No." Uh, I mean that that. That could be dangerous. I yeah, mean, totally. He was knocked out 100%. Yeah. Knocked out. Yeah. And he should have come off. He should have stayed off. Yeah. And that was, off. that was, yeah. and that was again coming down to the surface maybe a little bit or. Well, but uh, yeah, I think he was knocked out. Honestly, he hit his head twice. Yeah. Once against right. Altador. So we're saying which that, is that soccer, ball. football is tougher than hockey. That's what we're saying. It's a bit of a false equivalency. <laughs> a false equ- but yeah. the, and then the second game, of course, at BMO was just oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the fact that Toronto goes up, Montreal ties it again, yeah. they go into overtime, and then Toronto just, the, the, in that, what is it, a two-minute span or a three-minute span, they scored two goals, mm. fantastic goals too. But can you get a better advertisement 
oh, for yeah. Canadian football. Not a chance. No. The TV yes. the TV ratings I think were were record high nice. for like Canadian club soccer, I'm excluding right. national competitions. Um, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, absolutely fantastic. It's it's funny. I, I, you know it's a, you know it's a great uh, like you just said. I mean the advertisement is just fantastic. When I get friends that aren't necessarily soccer fans texting me yeah. uh, and sending me notes about what yeah. a fantastic game this was mm. of a sport they don't normally watch but yeah. they watch this game with with <laughs> such can, passion. Can you imagine being at the stadium as well? I mean that stadium also hosted the Great Cup. Right, and it was a great, great cup. I mean, I'm yeah. not a huge football guy, but that yeah. was a quality, great cup. What's yeah. that for sure? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> so, but then compare the fan bases. I well, mean, yeah, I'd way rather be at that semifinal MLS game. Oh, totally, yeah. great yeah. cup for game. sure. Totally, even though they're both great games. Yeah, yeah. The atmosphere was, but the atmosphere unreal. was it's just a different kind of atmosphere, a different kind of supporter. That's why the only thing that bothered me on the expansion temporary or otherwise on BMO is it cuts out the skyline. Yeah. And that's honestly for me the best part of being at BMO yeah. is staring across the pitch and seeing cool. the CN Tower there know, in the background. Cool. Yeah. Well, for me might be the best location of a stadium in Canada. Yeah, I, it's, it's spectacular. Really, it's Actually, it. you get a similar view sitting yeah. in the nosebleeds at Commonwealth. Kevin, do yourself a favor. <laughs> yeah. And I can stare down at my old stomping grounds of Norwood. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Oh, what's that pub on the corner? You get to look at that? That yeah, is the end zone, zone pub. pub. Thank you. End zone that's the one. Pub. There you go. If you don't have tuberculosis, but, uh, you're there. <laughs> Just joking, guys. You're a great <laughs> pub. All looking so forward. We will not be sponsoring us anytime soon. Guess not. We won't uh, just quickly, just are you trying to end this? I'm trying to. Just, uh, just not soon enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Um, just quickly, though, on that note, you know, absolutely, Kev said it, such a great um, advertisement, advertisement for the game in Canada. And it couldn't come at a better time when we're trying to launch a Canadian Premier League. True. So, True right, and everything, is, everything is indicating a 2018 start for this. And if you have, and then there's more rumors that, that there's interest, there's interested owners in 12 cities coast to coast. If you're one of those 12 owners, first of all, thank you. And then second of all, if you watched the, that game, that, that second game at yeah. BMO, yeah. how are you not excited to oh, become to, part of this? You have to be excited. In Canada. It. Have to be excited. It, Soccer-specific stadiums are going to make or break that league. If they don't have them, they won't. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to seeing the finals. The MLS finals go this uh, this coming Saturday. Uh, Toronto and Seattle at BMO Field. Be there or be square, at least uh, visually on your tube somewhere. Go toss. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, there you go. There's, there's, there's an the Edmonton way. player that's done very well there, yeah, for sure. Um, well, that's going to wrap it up here for us at, uh, at Rabbit Radio for another session. Episode 16. Oh, do you want, uh, do you want to mention quickly... Go ahead. Uh, hang on a sec. We've got to, some thoughts going on here in the background. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Dre with a little bit of a whisper going on and, and what's going on. No, I think we're okay. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. Yeah. What's the whispering stuff? No, D-Dub, that's it, buddy. Thanks. I thought there was, uh, I thought there was some breaking news some coming across the table ah, and it enough. broke. The news fair, broke fair on the enough. way to me. So. Okay. Fair enough. Not a problem. Kevin Passant, always nice to have you in here, Thanks buddy. Thanks for having us, gentlemen. Love the banter. Dre. JP, pleasure. always a pleasure. Jimmy. James, Jimmy. Thanks for coming out, Jimmy. You're always a swell guy. Great contribution. Great contribution. Yes, the USL 40 team in the A-League. Um, <laughs> thanks for everybody for listening. We're going to have uh, way more stuff coming your way in the future. As always, it's been a slice. 
This is Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Evanson, coming to you live from the First Round Sports Restaurant, and we'll talk to you again soon. See ya! You're listening to Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton.